We, we're finally going to finish Paul's prayer today in, in Colossians um, chapter 1. And it's been, as I've said last week and the weeks prior to that, of what a, a really a, a neat blessing it's been for me as I've studied this to see the heart that Paul had for the people of a church that he hadn't ever been to yet. You know, that's an amazing thing if you think about it, that that his heart was so, um, he just loved the people of God. You know, the fact that he'd never been to this place and he, and he had a heart and a compassion for them. And as Epaphras, as, as I've said before, brought this, this news of what was going on there to him, of how he just erupts into this prayer and tells them how he's been loving them. And, and it, it, what it's really done for me is, uh, is, is it's shown me a, a, a fresh, I don't want to say a new, but a fresh picture of Paul's love for the church. And, um, which I just thought, I, I got a email this week, um, that, um, Masters, I don't know if it's the college or the seminary, or maybe it was even Grace to You, I don't know, but MacArthur, John MacArthur's new book, you can get a pre, uh, you can put in a pre-order sale for it right now, and you get a couple chapters, I guess, electronically now, but it's the third book in the trilogy of the Gospel According To, and this one is the Gospel According To Paul, so, you know, if, you're, if you've got or read those other two, that might be a good one for you to get, but you know, Paul's love for the, for the body of Christ, I mean, just think of where God had brought him, right? He brought him, you, you know, his conversion story in Acts and just what a roughneck kind of guy he was after the church persecuting, and now he loves it, loves it so much and has such a compassion and a desire to see it protected from the very things that he was actually even doing. That's, that's an amazing thing, isn't it? Um, my wife and I were driving yesterday, and I, I don't know why, I was just thinking about heaven, and, and I said, um, you know, if, if whichever one of us dies first, you know, or you think that, that, that like, if I die first, she's like, oh, I got it pictured, you know, I'm, you'll, you'll meet me there, you'll come running to meet me, and, you know, let me show you, you know, Jesus, and, oh, there's Paul, you know, you've heard all those stories before, but just think of that, you know, of how neat that's going to be, that we get to spend all of eternity, whatever that even means, I'm not sure, but we get to spend all of that time with guys like that. So that excites me like when we went through Mark to learn all the neat things we did about Jesus, our Savior, and then now to see, you know, humans, Jesus was a human as well, but you know, I mean, he was just, he was a, he he had to be saved like we have to be saved in order to enjoy this, and and he was, and he was, he was, you know, one of those radical conversions, if you will. But now just his, his desire and his love for the church has really um, encouraged me. So let's read the whole prayer, well, any, starting in verse 9, anyway, through 14. Um, he says, And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding, 
so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. May you be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. So last week we kind of were finishing on this um, idea of this worthy walking in a worthy manner in verse 10 and uh, talking about how when we have this profound knowledge of God that Paul has been teaching us, that he'd been praying for the church of Colossae to have, we, we ended talking about how that should affect our walk, right? It should have an impact on how we behave in the community in which we all live in. And Paul prayed that the Colossians really, well, you've probably heard this phrase, you know, walk their talk, right? If you're talking about Jesus all the time, then your life ought to reflect it. And he prayed that their knowledge of Christ would grow, and that that knowledge in turn would produce a conduct within the, the church as, 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 as a large body, which was worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him in all respects, right? So... As we ended last week talking about, you know, how challenging challenging that should be to us, right? That, that we should be asking ourselves, does my conduct show that I have a knowledge of God, right? Now, the guys could probably say, you know, well, my wife challenges me on that sometimes, right? That was what you just did, you know, was that honoring to God? Was that being worthy um, my wife and I kid about that stuff all the time. Do you guys? You know, matter of fact, she, I'll turn the mic off. <laughs> I did something silly this morning. She said, you need to step down from being an elder. You know, <laughs> and I like, you know, I was just joking around, you know, but anyway, you know, it wasn't sinful. I wasn't sinning. I was just being goofy, but, um, and you know, you can be goofy and be a Christian, so. But, but, you know, really, though, you know, how do people see us in society? You know, is my walk worthy of being called a child of God? Well, thankfully, and this is a big thankfully to me, is that God hasn't left us to our own resources, right, to, to walk this way. This isn't something that I wake up in the morning and, and I, you know, conjure it up within me, okay, I got it now. I can go out and walk worthy. But Paul wrote to the Galatians in Galatians 2.20, one of my favorite verses. I have been crucified with Christ, right? It is no longer I who live. Christ lives in me. Is that real? Right? I mean, think about that. You know, and that that should have an impact on my life. The fact that Jesus Christ lives within me. And he, of course, dwells, us, dwells within us in the person of the Holy Spirit. Paul also prayed for the Ephesians in Ephesians chapter 3. He said that he, meaning Jesus, God, would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with power through his spirit in the inner man, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. You know, trying to walk in a manner worthy in our own strength, we're doomed, right? I mean, we are doomed to failure. You won't make it out of the house. And I think Martin Luther understood that. One of 
my favorite hymns that he wrote, A Mighty Fortress is Our God. Remember, he started out, Did we in our own strength confide? Our striving would be what? Losing. I mean, he knew that. Luther knew it. If, if we try and do this on our own, we're going to lose. He goes on and says, We're not the right man on our side, the man of God's own choosing. Thus ask who that may be, Christ Jesus, it is he. He must win the battle, right? That's, that's him abiding in us, living through us. Luther understood that. So what does a worthy walk look like? Well, verse 10 tells us that the result of that worthy walk is that we're going to be bearing fruit in every good work. So what, what kind of fruit? What does that mean, bearing fruit? What do you think? Fruit of the Spirit, first and foremost, absolutely, right? And, you know, you find that in Galatians chapter 5, right? I, you know, I try in, for my own life, I try and, and when I read the scriptures or think of things, I mean, there's a lot in the scripture I read and I don't have, a, I don't have an inkling of what it's talking about. So I have to pour into it and dig into it. But even when I read bearing fruit in every good work and the fruit of the Spirit, you know, I think of, I've told you guys that, you know, I was converted out of a life of no Bible knowledge, none. If you would have told me the first day I was saved, you need to be bearing fruit, I'm thinking apples and oranges, right? So fruit of the Spirit, that's in Galatians, right? And that's the love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control. There's probably a couple more that I don't remember, but... Right, so that, that's the fruit. And Paul says that, that it's, you can tell somebody's life by the fact that this stuff's on them. And I remember when Shane preached through the fruit of the Spirit years ago, he said, and that's not that you walk up to the apple tree and you part the branches and you look and there's a shriveled up apple back there. Oh, yeah, that's an apple tree. Look at that shriveled up crab apple. You know, no. You know, you can tell from a distance. Look at the fruit hanging on that tree. It's like if you drive up to the apple orchards in L.A.J. in October, September, October. You know, there's no doubt that's an apple tree, not an orange tree. Why? Because the thing is loaded down with apples. And people should be able to see our lives and tell. Yes, we don't know people's hearts. We can't judge whether they're saved or not. However, you know, if there's no fruit manifesting in someone's life, it should cause us to have real, real, real concern. Right. And and I, the people that I work with day in and day out, that's a that's a big thing for me, because I've often said that my ministry would be a lot easier if if we were in um, Wisconsin or New Hampshire. Why? Because not everybody there is saved and they don't say that they are right. And here in Georgia, you know. Everybody, you, just about everybody you come into contact with claims that they they know Christ, and uh, um, so bearing fruit in every good work. God's works are the, are the over, or I'm sorry, the outworking of Christ's life in His people. And Paul prayed that they would act out this Christ kind of life in every situation they were in, and um, and actually, um, the bearing fruit is a present reality. But it's also a continuous thing. It's not like you got fruit this season and next you don't. You know, um, we don't have to worry about the bees pollinating us. You know, we should be bearing fruit constantly, continually, 
ongoing in our lives. Well, the next thing that uh, Paul brings out in his prayer, um, he, he says in verse 10, that, that they would be increasing in the knowledge of God. Um, this is what he asked for at the very beginning of the prayer. So it's a little confusing. of Why would he pray that at the beginning and at the end? And, and I think what he's doing here is that he's bringing a connection at the beginning, um, I mean, um, yeah, at the beginning about knowledge, and now he's talking about conduct within the church with action, and he's bringing the two of those together to make a dynamic connection, and that, that, that he wanted them to be bearing fruit in their knowledge and their actions in the community that they were living in there. Um, so this mutual kind of cause and effect relationship between knowing and doing, which scripture is uh, full of, really it's one of the fundamental laws of spiritual growth. Uh, James goes into great detail with that, that you, nobody has ever, um, you know, if you're not a doer of the word, you're, you're not, if you're just a hearer only, you're, you're lacking. And that's kind of what Paul's getting at here. So the next thing that he describes in the prayer is in verse 11. He says, being strengthened with all power, according to his glorious might, for all endurance and patience with joy. Now, the power which Paul prayed for for them to have here is is really strong, immense power. Being strengthened was, again, a continuous denoting of a steady supply that doesn't diminish. God's supply power doesn't run out, right? It's not like our cars that will run out of gas. Um, The strengthening is on God's scale. It's according to his glorious might, he tells us. It's, you know, I thought of, uh, it's not like a a booster rocket. You know, when we send a spaceship into space, you got a booster rocket that propels the thing, but once it breaks through the atmosphere, what? The booster's gone, right? And and the thing just kind of floats around. However that works, I don't know, but there's no rocket propelling it around. And God's power is not like that. We, we've got the constant flow of power all the time, right? We're continually strengthened with all power throughout our Christian lives. Now, that is convicting to me in the sense that now that and that strips away an excuse to sin, right? That takes away the I couldn't help it mentality, right? Oh, I didn't have the strength. I was weak in that moment. Well, in your flesh, you might have been weak in that moment, but God's strength does not diminish in us. We constantly, constantly, all the time, constantly have the power of God to not sin in our lives, right? Um you know, again, with the people that I work with day in and day out, you know, you ask a guy, well, why did you do that again? Well, I just couldn't help it. But you profess Christ. So what was going on? You know, as you start stripping that down. So what is the best response to that? Instead of making the excuse that I didn't have the strength, I didn't have the power, I failed again, what's the best way to respond to that in your life or if you're counseling somebody? What do you think? Okay, sure. Yeah, you at that moment certainly did not believe that God was sufficient. His word wasn't sufficient to keep you from sinning. I I remember a time, just as clear as I'm standing here, standing on the street in Atlanta talking to this gal that was a, used to be a, a nurse in Alabama. She was a street, a street uh, crack addict, and... Um, 
she asked me one day to pray for her to not smoke crack. She told me she was a Christian. And I told her, I'm not going to pray that prayer. That's not a good prayer. Right? And she looked at me really puzzled. And she said, well, why would you not pray for me? I said, oh, I'll pray for you. But I'll pray that you obey God. And then you will stand in his strength to not smoke crack. You know, I wanted her to understand that God has provided a means for us to not sin. Right? So I, I didn't quite, I couldn't make the connection between the idea of, um, you know, help me to not smoke crack. You know, that's, a, that's the action that, that we need to be taking, the not smoking the crack, right? But it goes with any sin. Um, you know, and, and God's power is there. The moment I think God's power is not there, I have an excuse to sin. I can blame it on that, right? And then there's no responsibility taken by me to withstand that. And, you know, then if there's no responsibility by me, then I'm not the one that needs to repent. You know, it's God's fault. He didn't give me the power. Well, Paul's teaching us here that we have all of this power according to God's might, his glorious might. We're continually strengthened with power throughout our whole lives. It's limitless power. And he says that first it's for endurance. Some translations say steadfastness. And what he's really meaning is that it enables us to hold our position in battle. God's power allows us to hold our position in battle. We don't have to backpedal. We don't have to get knocked down. When I was, probably the first six months I was saved, I heard a sermon on the armor of God. Again, never heard anything about armor. And, and, and I would pray each morning, I maybe shared this with you guys, but each morning I would stand in front of the mirror. I, I was in the army for a while back in the day, and so I, I understood being a soldier, right? So I would put on, I would verbally, out, I would speak the armor of God. Lord, I'm putting on the breastplate of righteousness. I would do each piece I'd get to the shoes and I'd say, God, I'm putting on the shoes of the peace of the gospel. I'd bend over and act like I was putting them on. I'm doing this in the bathroom. And, and I would even pray, Lord, put extra long cleats on my shoes this morning so that when I get hit, I won't go over backwards. They're dug in. I'm dug in. That's what he's talking about here, this endurance. And, and I would stand at the very end, fully clothed in the armor of God, and I would salute, and I'd say, Lord Jesus, your soldier's ready to go to battle. And I'd suit, and I'd do in a real military about face. I'd probably fall if I did it now. <laughs> but, and I'd go out, you know, equipped with the enduring power of God in my life. Now, I might not even make it to the end of the driveway, you know, but nonetheless, I was thinking that way. And it's interesting that... Um, Paul had in mind when he was telling the, uh, Epaphras that this is how he'd been praying, he was, talking, he was praying against the evil forces that they would be able to endure those false teachers that were coming into Colossae. Uh, he was praying that they would be able to stand, to endure, to persevere, to remain steadfast, to stay at it, right? Listen to what one commentator wrote. I love this. Paul would have been proud of Winston Churchill if he had been present when Churchill was invited back to his alma mater to address the students near the end of his public service. When the five foot five, I didn't realize he was that short, five five bulldog of a man took the platform 
Everyone waited breathlessly upon his words, and they would never forget what they heard. Quote, young gentlemen, never give up. Never give up. Never give up. Never, never, never. With that, he sat down, right? He was teaching them about endurance, and that's what Paul's talking about here. And to that, he added patience, And, and that really can mean some translations would have the word long-suffering there. And uh, interestingly, and I think I shared this a few weeks ago, that um, endurance is, is in reference to circumstances in life that we face. And um, patience is in reference to difficult people. Uh, Paul was praying that the Colossians would have long-suffering endurance and that they would be patient in spirit as they related to the people in and outside the church there. And having endurance, however, interestingly, doesn't necessarily mean that we'll exceed with patience. Because think of of Moses. He endured with his struggle with Pharaoh and the circumstances of life there, but he lost his patience with the people after they had exited and crossed the, the Red Sea and he... He got mad. He lost his patience and he hits the rock and he didn't get to go into the promised land. So just because you're enduring in a circumstance, we still need the patience. They, they have to come together. Uh, and Paul knew that these qualities can only come into our lives by being strengthened with all power according to God's glorious might. And, you know, that would be a great way for us to pray for one another, right? Um, and then another way we can walk worthy of this calling, is by giving thanks. Look at verse 12. Giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. Now we're at the peak, we're at the summit of the prayer, and thanksgiving is brought into it. And and we can't walk worthy of God without constantly giving joyous thanks. And... um, Sadly to say, and this, you know, when Paul prays this, but if we reflect, at least me, on my prayer life, um, you know, I, I oftentimes demote giving thanks to a secondary place in my prayers. And, and Paul is saying here that we should be giving thanks to the Father at all times. And uh, instead of, of uh, giving thanks, our attitude, my attitude many times, Maybe I shouldn't say our, I kind of teach to myself, but my attitude many times in approaching God is reminiscent of the leech's daughter in Proverbs chapter 30, verse 15. You know what there, you know what it says? Give, give. That was their names, his daughters, give, give, right? Ooh, you know, I hope I can change my prayer life to where it's not like that, Right? We should be giving thanks. The Bible repeatedly stresses the importance of giving thanks. In Psalm 50, verse 14, the psalmist wrote, Offer to God a sacrifice of thanksgiving. In Psalm 107, 21 and 22, he wrote, Let them give thanks to the Lord for his loving kindness and for his wonders to the sons of men. Let them also offer sacrifices of thanksgiving and tell of his works with joyful singing. Psalm 92.1, it is good to give thanks to the Lord and to sing praises to thy name, O Most High. Ephesians 5.20, always giving thanks for all things 
Colossians 3.17, whatever you do in word or deed, do all in, in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks. Hebrews 13.15, through him then let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God that is the fruit of lips that give thanks to his name. So thanksgiving should permeate our speech. It should permeate our prayers, our songs. And again, there's another challenge for us. Um, Matter of fact, the Bible teaches that failing to give thanks is characteristic of wicked people. Failing to give thanks. Um, Romans one twenty one. they did not honor him as God or give thanks. And we know who he was talking about there, right? So evil men are marked in Scripture by ungratefulness. Scripture instructs us to thank God for many things. So we're to thank him for who he is. Psalm 30, verse 4 says, Sing praise to the Lord, you his godly ones, and give thanks to his holy name. And Paul gave thanks to God for his salvation and for the opportunity to serve him. First um, Timothy, Paul wrote, I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who has strengthened me because he considered me faithful, putting me into service. Um, again, in First Timothy 4, we are to give thanks uh, for food. Uh, 1 Thessalonians 5.18, and everything give thanks, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. So what should make us most thankful is the work of Christ in our lives, right? And Paul gives us three specific reasons there to show that. Have you ever been around somebody that just every single thing that comes out of them is negative? Just, I mean, just, boy, that there's nothing positive. You know, I was... My wife and I were talking to a couple the other night, and and she said we were talking about this topic. And this lady said, "Yeah, you know, I used to work with a friend that you, you know it was kind of the person when you'd come into the office that you wanted to go the other way if you saw her because she would just you know you come in, you've just had a quiet time at home, and the traffic was light, and you were singing worship on your with the radio and." You walk in the office and there's that person, nah, 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 everything, negative, 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 negative. And uh, she said, you know what, though, then she, she met a guy that made a lot of money and they got married. And she, um, she always talked about, you know, she always wanted to have a child and, and she had a baby. And so uh, I went over to her house to visit her to bring a gift, and she walked in the door, and she just, I can't believe this baby drags me down. You know, and just her whole life like that. How, you know, ungrateful. And, I mean, I don't know the person, but that seems that way. It had an impact on this lady that we were talking to. So God, you know, that's not how, that's not bearing fruit, right? That's worthy of a walk of a Christian. Certainly we have things that bother us, that, but we should always be giving thanks. And Paul gives us three specific reasons here that, for why we and the Colossian Christians should walk worthy and should be constantly giving thanks. And the, the first one there is in verse 12. And it's, it's because the Father has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. That's a present day, right now, reality. You and I, in Christ, are in the realm of light. 2 Corinthians 4, 6 says, Let light shine out of darkness. Or, I'm sorry, 
For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. 1 Thessalonians 5 says, you are all sons of the light. 1 Peter 2.9, this is my favorite one. But you are chosen people. Think about that. In Christ, in the realm of light, you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. That's present day now for us, right? That should impact the way we live, shouldn't it? When you can reflect on those things. Peter goes on in verses 10 and 12, Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds. So we are presently in the light, but that's also a future reality for us. So it's, it's, it's uh, now and later, right? Um, you know, the guy in Texas that had the book a few years ago that's world prominent book, number one, bestseller, yada, your best life now, you know? We can take that a step further, now and later, right? We've got the best life now in Christ that we could ever have on this earth but the reality of later is also there. There was a, uh, you know, isn't there a candy called now and later? Yeah. yeah, there was a guy at a conference I was at years ago that wrote a book kind of refuting your best life now. And um, he had banners selling his book at the conference that were the candy banners, you know, now and later. They were, it was kind of attractive looking, really drew you in. But, um, yeah, just think about that. You know, I know... I've seen some uh, refuting of of that uh, as well, and you know, if if our best life is only now, then you know we, as Paul said at the end of First Corinthians, should be pitied above all men, you know, because if this is all there is, you know, then we're in trouble. So we, the reality of being in the realm of light, though, should greatly impact how the world sees us. Um, C.S. Lewis, listen to what he said. Um, um, keeping in mind that the, the, the brightness of the light in the future is going to be a lot brighter than it is right now today, right? We're being made ready for that now. That's a good way of looking at it. C.S. Lewis said, nature, nature is mortal, we shall outlive her. You ever think about that? We're going to outlive that. When all the suns and nebula have passed away, each one of you will still be alive. Nature is only the image, the symbol. But it is the symbol Scripture invites me to use. We are summoned to pass in through nature, beyond her, and into the splendor which she fitly reflects. Isn't that awesome? I mean, does nature thrill you? You know, as part of God's creation, I mean, it, it does me. I don't know why. I, I just, it just does. I mean, just this morning we walked out of our house. I don't know what's going on right around my house in my neighborhood, but there's a whole pack of crows that are up to something. 
You know, you know what, you know what the whole pack of crows is called? It's not a pack. Does anybody know? Pardon? No, it's a murder. Yeah, so we got a whole murder of crows. And I mean, they're, these are, I've been researching that these are highly intelligent birds. Matter of fact, if you feed them, the studies show they'll start bringing you trinkets. They recognize your car. They recognize your pets. They recognize you. And they're, I guess they're nesting is what they're doing somewhere, but they don't do anything without talking about it. Have you ever noticed that about crows? <laughs> I mean, they don't even cross the street without having a discussion, you know, and then one of them goes, and he goes over there and says, yeah, it's okay, come on, you know, and the, the rest go. But, uh, I mean, there was one sitting out there then this morning when we walked out, and I'm watching this, and Kit's like, I'm running late, get the car cranked, we got to go. And, okay, it's going, but look, look, I can't look up while I'm walking. And then there was, there was a mockingbird in the poplar tree. Again, what a bird. I mean, this guy will go on. I don't know how they even have a voice after a month. You know, they mimic every bird. And you can tell who's been out in the morning if you know bird calls by just listening to the mockingbird. You know, he, he mimics everybody. You know, just little things of nature that God lets us enjoy now. That What that's going to be like, I don't know, in heaven, but just... That as, as we, you know, that's just a small reflection of that light that we get now. And it's because the Father has qualified us for that, right? It's not anything you and I have done. That blows me away, too. Why? Because I want it to have a part in this, don't we? I, I want to be able to pat my, good job, Tim, you got in the kingdom, buddy. You know, but no, it's not. It's because what God has done for us, he qualified us. It's all of him. I was talking to a guy this week that was a heroin addict and I asked him I said um, how is it that you have managed to go back home after being in the program and he's going to master's college online now he's so engaged in his church Um, he's working in a prison ministry in Cleveland Ohio he's doing street evangelism and I mean he is just he's there right and I said how is it that, that you have managed to walk away from that life and in walking in this life of Christ. And he said, well, I think it is, and I've had more than one guy tell me this. He said, the church there and the ministry there taught me how big God really is, you know, and, and how insignificant I really am, you know. So he, he was just telling me what an impact that had on his life. And so he realizes now that he, he is called, but he's also qualified by God to walk in a manner worthy. And he understands that. And so he, he's giving joyous thanks constantly. And the light represents two things biblically. Intellectually, it represents the truth. Psalm 119, verse 130 says, The unfolding of your words gives light. It imp- Parts understanding to the simple. Isn't that great? It imparts understanding to the simple. Morally, it represents purity. And we see that in Ephesians 5, 8 through 14. Paul writes, For at one time you were darkness, but now you are in the light, our light in the Lord. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of light is found in all that is good, right, and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, 
but instead expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore, it says, Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. So God has graciously given us this guarantee, this inheritance, if you will, that that is sealed with the Holy Spirit. Paul again wrote in Ephesians 1, You were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise who is given as a pledge of our inheritance. And that word pledge is, is similar to the, to the modern Greek word for an engagement ring. It can be translated guarantee or down payment. Uh, so God has given us the Holy Spirit as the first installment of that future inheritance. Isn't that a gift? You know, that we have the Spirit of God dwelling in us now so we can walk this this way. And in, in the future, of course, we won't even be tempted by sin. It won't even be a part of our lives. Uh, but interestingly, too, is this fact that it's not dependent on our feelings. It doesn't matter how I feel. This is truth. It doesn't matter if I feel it or not, right? So he's given us the Spirit and the Word to give us confidence and understanding of the inheritance. And the next reason... and. I quoted this verse um, months ago in between books that we were doing. It, it, one of my favorite verses of, is verse 13, the, uh, another reason to give thanks. And it says, He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son. Now, the word delivered there is the word transferred in... Um, um, the New American Standard, I think it is, uh, carries the idea of a mighty king, think of this, picking up a, an entire population and deporting them from this realm to this realm. And that's what God's done. He has transferred us, delivered us from here to here, right? Even though we're still in this world, but spiritually speaking, we're, we've been delivered from, it's, a, it's an accomplished thing. It has already taken place. We have been deported from the kingdom of Satan to the kingdom of God, right? And ultimately, we'll see that um, when we die. But that presents a problem for us now and moving forward in that Satan didn't have to fight with us prior to being Christians, right? Why? Because we already belong to his realm. But now the, the battle's on. Now we need that armor of God, right? Um, I read something this week uh, talking about um, this battle that goes on. And my, my favorite book uh, as a Christian is Pilgrim's Progress. And uh, this was a, kind of a snippet somebody wrote talking about that. It says, The transfer of our citizenship and allegiance from Satan's kingdom to God's has cosmic consequences. The fact that we've been taken out of here and put here has cosmic consequences. And this is a quote from Pilgrim's Progress. There is no prince. This is Apollyon talking to Christian. Apollyon is the devil talking to Christian. There is no prince that will thus lightly lose his subjects, threatened Apollyon to Christian, declaring himself the sworn enemy of Christian's new king. He raged, Apollyon, quote, I hate his person, his laws, and people. I am come out on purpose to withstand thee. 
That's our life now. Now we got this battle that we didn't even have before. But would you rather fight for the amount of years you got left now and be in paradise forever, or would you rather just be swept away with him and have what you want now, perhaps what your flesh wants, and be, um, you know, in hell forever? So, you know, we are now presently in the kingdom that God loves. I mean, the, the, the kingdom of God, which is enveloped in love. And for that reason, we give thanks. Um, let me read something that was uh, my devotional recently on this verse, Colossians 1.13. This is Thomas Watson writing uh, in his works of the Ten Commandments. And on verse uh, 13, he said, this is, uh, Sin enslaves the soul. Oh, how a man wears himself out in the service of sin. It wastes his body, breaks his sleep, distracts his mind. Sin says to one, defraud. To another, be unchaste. To another, take revenge. To another, make a false vow. But sinners are content to be under the command of sin. They are willing to be slaves. They love their chains. They wear their sins, not as fetters, but as ornaments. They rejoice in iniquity. What freedom has a sinner to his own confusion when he can do nothing but what sin will have him do? He is enslaved in the house of bondage. Satan is a tyrant over the souls of men. He fills their heads with error and their hearts with malice. He rules men's minds and blinds them with ignorance. He rules their wills and captures their hearts to obey him. Every man by nature is in the house of bondage. He grinds in the devil's mill and is at his command. How could those swine but run when the devil entered into them? When the devil entered into Judas and bade him betray Christ, he would do it, though he hanged himself. It is a sad and dismal case to be in the house of bondage under the power and tyranny of Satan. He hurries men on to perdition, but God takes his elect out of the house of bondage, beats off the chains and fetters of sin, brings them into the glorious liberty of the children of God. The saints are made spiritual kings to rule and conquer their corruptions. It is a matter of the highest praise and thanksgiving thanksgiving to be taken out of the bondage of enslaving lust and made kings to reign in glory forever. Jesus Christ redeems captives. He ransoms sinners by price and rescues them by force as David took a lamb out of the mouth of the roaring lion. Oh, what a mercy it is to be brought out of the house of bondage to, the, to be made subjects of the prince of peace. Isn't that good? I mean, that's where we're at now. That's the life we can live now. Well, he wraps this up with a uh, final reason for giving thanksgiving, and that's in verse, verse 14, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. We have been purchased from the slave market. Our sins, they're gone, right? Why? Because we're in Christ. Again, not by what we've done. Present reality, right now, the victory's been won. So that should cause us to pray for others that we love and care and cherish in the body of Christ, that we would be filled with this knowledge and be able to walk. So what are some practical ways that you and I can do daily to be uh, 
walking in a manner worthy as Paul is talking about here. What do you think? You got any things that you do daily that help you that you could share with us? Anybody having it? It's hot in here, isn't it? The heat's up. What do you think? You know, who was it? It's one of the Puritans, I don't remember which, said that we, sh- we need to be about the business of killing sin or sin will kill us, right? That's something we need to do every day. What does that mean? What's the business of killing sin? Pardon? Die to self? Okay. Now, how do you do that? I think that you have to stay in the Word, and then there's practical ways to attack your sin, and I think uh, the Word will help you with that. Okay. Take the quiet times, and then work on practical ways to, to kill the sin that's in your life. Okay. Daily quiet times, right? I mean, that's the key to me. That's the guy that led me to Christ told me that, and I've been doing it for however many years that's been, so... We need to be doing that. Um, obviously, ask the Lord for insight as to examine this. Examine my heart that mm-hmm. He would show me. I don't always see it mm-hmm. clearly. So when I have to rely on Him every day and okay. ask for that, sure. Because we are to ask our Father with boldness. Right. So there will be some things then that we might not find in the Word that He'll prick our consciences with that could be something that we need to work on, right? What do you do if that's the case? You know, I mean, black and white in Scripture, you know, white page, black ink, or red, that's a no-brainer. You have to, right, if you're going to obey God. But what about those areas, you know? I'm not real clear on that, God. What do I do? What do you do in that case? Do it and hope it goes okay? (laughs) You know? Uh, Jay Adams has a principle he calls the holding principle. It's Romans 14:23, and that's where he'd been talking. Paul had been, you know, discussing this whole idea of um, um, whether or not we should eat meat offered to an idol. Um, you know, the uh, if public said, well, I wouldn't. If the butcher shop had filet mignon for 8.99 a pound that had been offered to an idol, and the regular is $26.99 a pound. I don't believe in idols. I'm buying that. I'm buying the $8.99, right? I can do that because I don't have a conviction about idols. But you may, uh, you know, I'm not so sure. You, you, what, let me read Romans 14, 23. But whoever has doubts, I'm not so sure. Whoever has doubts is condemned if he eats. Because the eating is not from faith. For whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. So if you can't do it with a clear conscience, even though the Bible might not be black and white about not doing it, then don't do it or you're sinning, right? I mean, that, that's a great filter for us, Romans fourteen twenty three. If I can't do it in faith, trusting God, then don't. You know, and that, you know, you can just imagine in your mind all the areas of life that could permeate. You know, that's one of the th- that's one of the gauges I use for going to movies. You know, I I have a line. I don't go to R-rated movies. Now, you can go to an R-rated movie; might be perfectly fine with you. But I have a conviction: the Bible doesn't say don't go to an R-rated movie. 
X, yeah, okay, but R, you can't go there, right? But for Tim Brown, I don't do it. Now, you know what people throw back when I usually say that? Well, did you see the Passion of Christ? Well, it was R-rated. Yeah, I saw that one. You know, I mean, there might be an exception clause there for something. But you know what I mean? That that There's a lot of things like that. Yes, sir? Mm-hmm. Um, Paul says, let us therefore make every effort to do what leads to peace and to mutual edification. Yeah. And I think that's a good, I think that kind of sums up sure. the whole idea of this, this passage that, you know, we're, we're not, we're not just living unto ourselves. That's right. Right? I mean, we've got brothers and sisters all around us. Yeah. We want to be doing things that are going to be promoting uh, promoting peace. You know, we don't want to be causing strife and division. Mm-hmm. So we promote peace amongst ourselves, and and also, you know, mutually mutual edification. Sure. So I want to I want to do things that are going to ultimately, hopefully, edify, be edifying to all of you, and and hopefully. I can be similarly, similarly edified sure. by the things that all of you say and do. And right, and it's, just, it's just a matter of, of thinking about other people. Yeah. You know? Which is the second half of being a Christian, right? Love God and others. Yeah, absolutely. Which takes the focus off of me and my wants and desires and puts them on you. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, Thank you. Done, sure. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Thank you. So, all right. Well, thanks for your time.